Welcome to B2B Podcast Stories, brought to you by GHA Marketing. Our guest today is Jason Falls. Jason is a speaker and author best known for his groundbreaking work in strategic influence marketing. Today, Jason shares the journey behind his podcast and book, Winfluence, and the subsequent growth of his influence marketing consultancy practice, Falls and Partners. So today, expect to learn the difference between influencers who just amplify your brand message and those who drive genuine conversations and sales, how to build trust through consistent content, and how to structure your campaigns to impact change in your target audience. We also go into the Marketing Podcast Network, an initiative Jason set up aimed at creating a supportive community for podcasters through cross-promotions and shared ad revenue. Before we begin, please remember to subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. It really helps the show, and we're going to keep bringing you amazing guests and stories about all the different ways podcasts have helped their business. Remember, in the world of marketing, it's not just about who you know, it's who they influence. And with that, here's Jason. Jason, thank you so much for joining us on the B2B Podcast Stories. Um, I'm very glad to be here. Thanks for having me. A pleasure. We'd like to start and kick things off with uh, your story. So can you walk us through what your business is? Tell us a bit about Falls Partner and overall what's influence marketing and what you're doing in the space. Sure. So Falls and Partners is my, you know, basically just the name of my consultancy. And um, I primarily focus on uh, what I call influence marketing strategy. And you'll notice that I leave the R off of the word influencer uh, because of my philosophy about influence marketing really is that we've become uh, conditioned to focus on the content creator, the influencer in the equation, as opposed to the strategic goal of what we're trying to accomplish, which is to influence an audience to take action. And so from a strategy perspective, I like to ground myself on that, that strategic goal. What are we trying to do with influencers uh, and through influencers? And that's ultimately, you know, what we should be focused on. So, you know, you can say, well, um, my influence goal is to persuade an audience to buy products or my influence goal is to create more awareness around my products or services. Or it could be a communications goal like I want to change the way that this particular audience thinks about a certain issue. And so that that influence, the influence that you're trying to have is really what the focus should be. So Falls and Partners is really about developing really smart influence marketing strategies to help businesses and brands actually affect change in the audience they're trying to reach. It happens through uh, paths of influence, and that might be someone on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube, but it might also be that you are working through another avenue of influence. And I'll give you a quick example. About two miles from my house, there is a store in Louisville, Kentucky uh, called the Parent Teacher Store. It is a chain. It's a, a local franchise of a bigger brand. But the manager of that particular franchise of the Parent Teacher Store, which they sell school equipment and things like that to teachers, administrators, parents who want to drive education in the home, parents who homeschool their children. And so the, the general manager or the owner of that particular franchise, an Instagrammer or a TikToker with a half a million followers doesn't mean anything to them because the number of those followers that is in within you know a 20 or 30 mile radius of their physical location store is going to be very minuscule. So using an influencer, using a social media content creator to influence their audience doesn't make any sense. Strategically, what we try to do at Falls and Partners is say, okay, 
who influences the parents, the teachers, the people who are going to shop at your store within a 20, 30, 50 mile radius of your location? Well, that's going to be, um, you know, the president of the local PTA group. That's going to be, um, you know, other teachers and administrators at schools. It's going to be maybe local sports or youth uh, program coaches and administrators, right? So you've got to work through those people. And, and within within that path, it's not really, it doesn't really matter how many followers they have on Instagram. That doesn't really have anything to do with it. So Falls and Partners really our core sort of um, linchpin of what we do is we broaden the perspective to look at influence, not just influencers on social media, so that we can ultimately help our, our clients achieve that goal of, uh, making, you know, persuading the audience to take action, uh, whatever the action might be that the brand desires. Absolutely love that. Let me, now that we're into it, and it's a super interesting topic. So let me play the devil's advocate a bit. Some brands might be just about brand awareness, where you're not necessarily looking in um, triggering an action from an audience, but more like, well, creating awareness about the brand, being top of mind is if whatever those half a million people being influenced become parents or become potentially the target of this particular company be like, Hey, but like two years ago or six months ago, I've seen a, an ad from this influencer. Like there is, again, being the devil's advocate here, but there is still a case, right? So is the differentiation here much more about, we want to do influence that actually triggers action and that's for serving this specific purpose. Or can it also be about brand awareness? Oh, it, it can absolutely also be about brand awareness. In fact, I would say the majority of what most people think of as influencer marketing um, are campaigns that are focused on brand awareness. They're using people with large audiences on social channels or in the B2B space. Maybe they're using um, you know, a thought leader in the industry, someone who uh, writes academic papers or speaks at conferences. They're using content created by people that have a larger impact uh, on the audience in question uh, to create that awareness, to create that thought leadership or that association with that brand. That's the majority of what you see in the uh, influence marketing space. But when you have a brand, and I've got a client who's like, you know what, this, the brand awareness is great. We also spend money on advertising to create brand awareness. So it's complementary to what we do. But ultimately, we want to figure out how to move the needle. We want to figure out how to convert customers. And so that takes a little bit of, of, of a different perspective because a lot of what we found over the years in working with Instagrammers and Facebookers and YouTubers and bloggers and whatnot is there's a segment of that influencer audience out there that is really great at engaging an audience and creating awareness and uh, creating great content. But they're not great at convincing that audience to take that final step to convert, to purchase, et cetera. Then there's a subsegment that's like, hey, I'm, I'm more of an affiliate marketer mindset where I know in order to continue to work with these brands, I have to be able to persuade my audience to take action. So you're looking at people who maybe do Amazon Lives. Uh, people who do affiliate programs, people who have conditioned their audience to know that they're going to be the filter to say, hey, here are good products and services for you to consider purchasing. So there's kind of this you know, separation when you're looking at the influencers that you want to use in a general sort of consumer-facing retail fashion. 
there's a separation between those that can actually drive awareness versus those who can actually drive conversion. And sometimes there's overlap, certainly. Uh, but yeah, you can use influencer marketing or influence marketing for both brand awareness. You can use it for driving conversions and sales, and you can use it again, to going back to that sort of communications uh, strategy and goal of let's change people's mindset. So you can you can use it for a lot of different things. It's just about figuring out what that goal is and then going after the right influencers to be able to make that happen. Hmm. I think having a goal is the key thing there, right? Time and time again, we see people, marketers, people that want to get into marketing say, oh, I want to get my brand in front of as many people as possible. And what we always say to them as well, what's the goal? What's the actual goal you're trying to drive? And is that the right strategy? Should you have a podcast? Should you just have a better LinkedIn campaign? Should you start webinars? It all comes down to what is the goal that you're trying to achieve? And don't just do what the next person is doing or someone else in, a, in that industry did got really good results. So I want to replicate it. Well, no, you're audiences within a 20 mile radius because you're not online, right? Or if you are online, you speak to a very different customer base than there. Or if you're fulfillment, you know that if you're based in Australia, you're not going to be able to fulfill someone in the US as fast as someone in Europe will or someone in US will. And you're always going to have that delay time, for example, and you need to be servicing the Australian market. Time and time again, we always see people come back to that of they lose sight of the real goal of the of the marketing and they just want to do the thing that's sexy at the time. Yeah. And, and I've got a, a really perfect example that I have a, a client recently that there's multiple divisions uh, within the, the company and sort of the, I guess the, the, the way to explain this easiest is let's the, the parts and service sort of the maintenance and utility part of the business came to me and said, Hey, we want to, uh, we've got a little bit of money. We want to test some influencer marketing strategies and said, okay, that's, that sounds great. And they said, we're thinking, you know, Instagram and TikTok and this, this, and this, and this, this. And I said, well, wait a minute. You, you're, you're not the big, sexy consumer-facing product. You're the, the maintenance stuff, the filters, the parts and accessories piece of it. So you don't want to create awareness necessarily. You just want to make sure that you are where people are when they want to purchase that particular product or, or, or service. Correct. And they said, yeah, that's right. I said, well, okay, let's not worry about TikTok and Instagram so much. Let's go find the uh, Amazon Live creators who are doing videos weekly with their audiences saying, hey, we've got a great deal on this product. We've got a great deal on that product because, A, that audience is conditioned to purchase things, right? And so they are going to move the needle that you're ultimately going to want to move in order to make sure this test works. So you're going to, the intention, the goal is going to be to drive sales. Um, you can have the goal of creating awareness and we can do some interesting things with that. But if you're doing a test with a small budget and you want to make sure that it works, let's design it so that it does work. Let's go to a place where people are predisposed to purchase. Let's make sure that we're putting SKUs in front of them of products and services that are appealing, that we've got a good deal on, or that are, um, you know, as sexy as they can be in that sort of maintenance space and make sure that we're able to move the needle so that we can say, okay, we spent this much money. We made that much money. That's pretty good. Now let's expand uh, our goal set and try to see what, okay, what do we need to do to continue to drive revenue, but then also create that awareness for the brand in other, in other avenues. We have a, we have a client that might argue that HVAC and plumbing is sexy, Jason, to, to be, to be fair. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> but indeed, it's all about getting where your audience is or where your next audience is and targeting them specifically and having a much higher ROI on this specific action, because this is where the people that are likely to buy your products are eventually. 
sure. makes a lot of sense. A quick question on my side. Why? So obviously we are GHA marketing behind it. So we are also in the marketing space. I'm interested in understanding why the influence without an R marketing space and niche in particular, do you see it as having a competitive advantage compared to other marketing methods or is it where false partner and yourself have a particular expertise, which is valuable for your clients? Why focusing on that niche in marketing? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, the, when you look at influencer marketing overall, and I'll just use the R on, on in influencer to, to talk about in general about the market and the, and the, and the industry, um, there's just, there's a lot of options out there. There's a lot of big agencies that are doing it. There's software providers, there's consultants and strategists and whatnot. And so the influence marketing without the R focusing on the action versus the, uh, the channel, if you will, the individual, um, that's kind of my unique spin, my unique perspective on how we should be thinking strategically about the the practice of influence or influencer marketing. Um, that was the premise of my book called Winfluence, which is focused on that and, and understanding strategically how to approach uh, influence marketing. It's the, basically the underlying theme and premise of my podcast, Winfluence, which is also conversations around the same thing. And it is the thing that has differentiated my perspective on the industry from other consultants and other agencies and other software companies out there. And so um, it it really is just kind of my unique selling proposition, if you will. I'm leading with that saying, hey, we're not going to look at this as which content creators can we work with. We're going to look at this as what's our goal and how can we influence the audience to help us accomplish that goal. So it's much more of a strategic positioning uh, when you're thinking about influence marketing versus influencer marketing. It's just a, I mean, at the end of the day, it's one letter in a word. It's a semantic difference, but it helps me sort of differentiate how I think about it from other consultants and agencies out there. And so when I have sort of presented that argument to prospective clients or my current clients, or even just talk about the concept in the book or on the podcast or at conferences where I've spoken and whatnot, the audience gets it. They're like, oh, wow. Like he thinks about this differently than other people. And that's opened the door for me to be able to carve out a, uh, you know, a nice book of business uh, as a consultant um, and, um, you know, really help some businesses and brands understand how to use influencers in an interesting way because you're starting with the goal, you're starting with the strategy, you're starting with the point as opposed to starting with the person. Because if you start with the person, then you can go a bunch of different ways if they don't understand what it is you're trying to accomplish. If the goal doesn't lead the conversation, then they're just going to create content for their audience and you may benefit, you may not. So it's really about refining everything so that you're accomplishing those business goals. So you mentioned it there, and this is what we want to dive into, Jason, the Winfluence podcast. How does that fit into your business as a consultant? So it's kind of like you're your own, you're an influencer. <laughs> right. You don't want me calling you that <laughs> for your influence business. Sure. The podcast fit into that? Like, why did you start it? Sure. So the, the podcast, Winfluence, the Influence Marketing Podcast, originally started as a promotional avenue for my book. So it was a byproduct of the book called Winfluence as well. Um, but I had already been podcasting. It was, I think I was, my podcast was called The Jason Falls Show or something at the time. It, it, it wasn't really dialed in strategically. And so this was a way for me to take my podcast, which had a, you know, a modest audience and turn it into 
a promotional vehicle for the book, but also a promotional vehicle for that mindset, that mentality of dropping the R, focusing on strategy. And what that has done for Falls and Partners is it has you know elevated me a little bit more in the sort of thought leadership space within the influence marketing industry. Um, I've been invited for the last two years to be one of the MCs and co-hosts of the Influencer Marketing Show uh, in New York City, which is the American version of a very successful event uh, uh, originally started in London and um, by a company called Performance In. Um, and so within the industry, it's helped set me aside a bit. Not only does it keep me top of mind with people because it's a weekly podcast, so people who are subscribing to podcasts are looking at that channel for information, advice, inspiration around uh, influencer marketing are seeing my face, they're hearing my voice, they're seeing me interview guests. Um, based on who I interview, it also puts me in the conversation with the brand managers that I'm interviewing. So it can open the door for, you know, directly for new business. But more often than not, the, the podcast really serves as a mechanism to just elevate my exposure and stature within the industry. It certainly helped me get the um, you know, hosting uh, gig with the influencer marketing show. It's also helped me get uh, selected as judges for some influencer marketing award uh, programs out there, and it's landed me quite a few speaking gigs. Um, the I can definitely attribute the podcast uh, directly to. Um, uh, last month, I went to Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates and spoke to a, a really nice conference there at the Global Media uh, Congress. And that speaking gig put me international. It put me in front of, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of, of people that I wouldn't be put in front of. And it was all because I had this podcast. I was a thought leader and a, a vocal voice in the industry about influencer marketing. They happened to be looking for an influencer marketing expert to come and talk. And so it, it helped me land that gig. So it opens up a lot of doors. I wouldn't say that it you know, consistently or always leads to new business, but it certainly puts me in a position where new business is possible. And I can attribute probably, uh, probably 35, 40% of my current book of business is, wow. you know, the, the clients and customers that have connected with me because of the podcast. So it certainly is supportive of what I do. That's definitely not insignificant. So you are the second consultant that we had on the show. Um, before that, we had um, consultants in the payment sphere. So it's like very different industry. But being a consultant is uh, signing new clients as a consultant is a lot about how much of an expert you're considered in the space and how much of a thought leader you are perceived as. Podcast definitely enables that. Like that's one of the primary things. As long as it's um, remotely successful, and you get you give that exposure even to other people on your show, you're considered as a thought leader just because you have thought leader associating their image and brand with you. And that has this like virtual circle effect, that compounding effect that you just gain the influence on of each other. And then you get to speak to events that brings you additional podcast listeners as well, making the next event that you're speaking at even bigger and so on and so forth. Yeah. So speaking of that, because there is the influence on the book but the influence on the consulting business. Would you say that the podcast has enabled that as well? Because you get known through the book, you get known through the podcast. There is this whole melting pot of every, everything and all the activities that you do. Does that actually bring you business for the consulting part of it? 
Absolutely. Uh, it, it certainly does. I mean, uh, the original idea was for the podcast to help promote the book, and it did a nice job of that. But the life cycle of a book is, you know, anywhere from, I don't know, nine to 18 months, right? You know, a year and a half later, you've moved on. You're not selling that book anymore, at least not directly. Um, and so the podcast is, I believe, three years old now, a little over three years old. So I've I've moved past the focus on promoting sales of the book. It's certainly still there, still relevant. People can still go buy it. But the uh, the tenor and the focus of the conversations, um, once the sort of book promotional period was kind of fading away, was, okay, how can I use this, whether it's the guests that I invite or the conversations that we have, how can I use this to make me a more attractive consultant out there for people who are looking for that kind of advice? And so that's really the the reason behind the podcast after that first 18 months or so of the book being out was really to shift to driving business for my consultancy. And you're right. It's 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 not something that you can put a whole lot of direct you know correlation to. Um, you can from time to time because you'll you'll be you know, someone will reach out to you via email, say, hey, I listen to your podcast all the time. My company is looking for some consulting help with influencer marketing. Can I talk to you? Well, you can attribute that, you know, customer, that client to your podcast. A lot of times, though, it's people come to consultants after they've spent a lot of time doing their research. Who's out there? Who are the thought leaders in the space? Um, what what does their content look like? What is their perspective on the world so that I, I'm going to choose someone that I align with? And by the time they come to you, it's not necessarily that they remember to say, hey, I listened to your podcast or that's where I found you. It's I'm looking for an influence marketing consultant. Your name keeps popping up. Maybe you can't attribute that directly to the podcast, but the podcast is part of that environment. It's part of that world, that ecosystem that leads people to you. And if that's your primary you know, mechanism, which for me, in terms of influence marketing, Right now, the podcast is the primary sort of window to the world. Certainly, my social channels are there, um, and I do a lot of other things, but the primary mechanism of me saying, here's who I am, here's how I think, here's how I can help you, is the podcast. So, you know, again, direct attribution, I said 30 35% of my business, indirect attribution might be all of it. Who knows? It's more than just the podcast, right? The podcast is the content vehicle. Like you said, you keep coming up is because you're out there. You have the content. You've boosted it for SEO. You've repurposed it into other formats. You have it on your website. So that's attracting uh, clicks towards the overall website that you have. So I would say, yeah, I mean, if that's your core content linchpins, the word you used earlier, right, is what everything is built around. Then I was like, why do you think podcasting lends itself to that very well. Like, why is it podcasting? That's your main medium for that. Well, from a, especially in the B2B world, which I know you guys focus on a lot, uh, podcasts are long form content that allows the audience to really understand you, your message. You know, if you're the host, if you're the person who is sharing your opinion or if you're interviewing others or whatnot, the podcast, podcast content is long-form content that really exposes how you think to the world. And so for the people out there who are, you know, very discerning with their dollars or they want to be very thorough on the research they do to figure out, well, who should we hire for this? A podcast allows them to get really deep in understanding who you are and making a connection within their own brain first before they introduce themselves to you. 
And so I think it's one of those things where you can't do a podcast for a couple of months and think that it's going to work for you. It's got to be this consistent feed of information and your opinion and your perspective on the world that's out there so that listeners over time, whether they listen to two or three episodes or whether they listen every week, over time, they're going to really know and understand who you are, how you think. And that's ultimately, hopefully going to lead them to say, I want to work with this person. I trust their perspective and opinion and the advice that they can give me on how to do this and do this well. So that's really interesting. There's a story um, I heard about on a podcast. So Joe Rogan, one of the biggest podcasters in the world, uh, of course, over 2000 episodes was wrapped up in this controversy uh, a year ago or so, which was that uh, someone found a really old clip of him using the N-word. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously one of the, let's say, negatives of having so much content out there is like, well, <laughs> I guess some mistakes and yeah. can mess up. Use the N-word. But then that didn't really budge him much, didn't really destroy him because I got picked up by mainstream media outlets. They said, look, this guy's a bigot, this guy's a racist, this guy's and all these different things. But his audience didn't even flinch. And the reason for that was there was just so much content of him being a really nice guy and so much content of him making opposite statements in support mm-hmm. of black people and the support of all the movements that were happening in the US, especially around the whole BLM movement and you know, giving a very fair, uh, unbiased, let's say one way or the other perspective right. on it. Um, and so no one really bought that, okay, yeah, he said it in a time where maybe it was a bit more acceptable. Um, but that is, he's not a bad person. I've listened to hours, hundreds of hours of Joel. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> I feel like I know him. Yeah. Um, that, and you, you hit on it right there. The audience knows, they feel like they know him. They feel like he's a friend. He's a consistent voice in their head, you know, every week or a couple times a week talking to them. And they feel like they know him. And you're going to have a much easier time forgiving someone for an oversight, a mistake, et cetera, if you know them. If you, if nobody knew who Joe Rogan was or he was just somebody that you didn't listen to and you didn't care and you heard, oh, he used the N-word, well, I'm going to tune that guy out. He's canceled. I don't like him anymore. That's easy because you're not invested. But if you're an audience member and you get to know them and you see the consistency of the opposite behavior over time, it's much easier to look at something that happened 10 years ago and go, uh, well, that was unfortunate, but I really like the guy and I know he's not like that all the time. So I'm still bought in. Yeah. And so bringing that back to maybe something less controversial, right? <laughs> what you said about your business, right? If someone's been hearing you again and again and they yeah. have heard your thought process, they understand, okay, these guys think about influence marketing like this. Oh, I can really buy into that. That makes a lot of sense. And I hear it again and again. I'm like, oh, I know Jason. Like, I understand Jason's point of view. I really buy into how he's doing it. If I need something inside my company, Jason's the guy because I feel like I understand how he's going to approach this problem and I want him to come and do it because he's going to execute it much better than I am. Or there's probably some insights that he hasn't shared or, you know, he has a more 360 uh, perspective on it or I just don't have the time internally to do it. Therefore, I need some help. You know, like all these different things. Like if people feel like they know you and we always mm-hmm. say one of the very first um, clients we had for our THM Marketing Podcast Agency and um, on the very first episodes back when like we were like editing it ourselves and everything like that before we built out our whole team. I still remember it to this day. And it's the one quote that stuck with me and Guillaume from the first day we started business. People buy from, buy, people, buy from people, not from companies. Yep. And more and more with what we call the third wave of the internet, right? Wave one being you could just uh, read 
uh, from the internet, wave two being you could read and then write. There were some blogs. And wave three being social media aspect where you can contribute, right? Where you can really engage with other people. More and more, it's personalities that are what people are looking for and what people are resonating with, right? When you think of Tesla, you think of Elon Musk. When you think of Amazon, you think of Jess Bezos. When you think of Microsoft, you think of Bill Gates. When you think of Winfluence, you think of Jason Falls, <laughs> right? You don't think of Winfluence as lovely as your branding is and as lovely as your work is and everything like that. It's Jason Falls that they're buying yep. from, especially in the consulting business. Sure. Well, another thing I would add add to that sort of conversation to extend that a little bit, um, there's a lot of, you know, fly-by-night consultant types and, you know, people who are just trying to sell you something, especially in the B2B space, especially in the marketing space. And when you have a podcast and you are putting out your thoughts on the industry and you're doing it consistently over time, I mean, Winfluence is three years old as Winfluence, but that podcast entity has existed for six or seven years. And so that consistency of content out there, you're going to outlast all those flash in the pan, fly by night consultant types, and you're going to emerge as one of a handful of people. I mean, you can probably count on one, maybe two hands, the number of people who have long-standing, recurring, long-form content about influencer marketing. There's there's me, there's um, uh, Neil Schaefer, there's uh, Amanda Russell, um, there's uh, Gordon Glenister, and now I'm going to find it hard to come up with five or six, right? So if someone is out there consuming podcasts over time or just looking for thought leadership in the industry over time, there's not a whole lot of people that are going to emerge if you're looking at someone who has a ton of content out there, they've been doing it consistency, consistently for a long time, and that's going to surface those individuals as, okay, this is someone who I can, I can trust and I can rely on. And the, way, the reason that I know that that works and that's true, three of my main clients that I have current projects with right now, I have worked with one of them for six years, the other two for one is probably 13 years and the other one is 15 years. So these are people who bought into my way of thinking years ago, and they've consistently, and, and that hasn't been, I've worked with them consistently for 15 years. If they've used me for a couple of years or a project or two here or there, then they've gone and done other things and they've come back to me, right? So that's where you know that the content, the ideas, the reputation, your ability to solve problems is effective. When you have a client that uses you for something, then they go away, then they come back, you're doing something right. And those are the types of clients you want. I, I can't have just three because, you know, they ebb and flow. Budgets ebb and flow. You know, new leadership comes in, they change, they do different things. They get rid of their consultants for a while, go with one agency, et cetera. Um, but if I have, let's say, six, eight, ten of those, and the ebbs and flows align so that I've always got this consistent line of work and line of business, that's where a good consultancy can, uh, or that's what becomes a good consultancy over time. When I hear this relationship time, Jason, I can't help but think that like 13, 15, 10 years, that's, that's insane for an industry like influence marketing where sure. platforms, technology trends evolve so fast. And I'm curious to know without revealing the secret sauce, maybe because maybe that's one of your secret <laughs> weapons, but is the podcast helping you somehow to keep up to date with all the changes because you are challenged 
not only by the guest, but by the research that you need to do for the guest in order to make a compelling episode and to keep on serving your audience with a very good content. Like you need to stay up to date to everything in order to have the content still relevant. But therefore that makes you an even greater consultant because you're like, guys, it's not like I'm winging this. I need to be up to date if I want to produce quality for my podcast. And the people that come on the show, if I don't know what they're gonna, going to talk about, like how great of a host can I be? And we had one of the recent guests who said exactly this, like the research that he takes every day before interviewing a guest is like half an hour to an hour. Because like, I need to know what they're about. I need to know at least what I'm going to ask and the specificities of what they are doing. Otherwise it doesn't make for a compelling episode. And so yeah, is that, you've yeah, go ahead. yeah, you, you've hit the nail on the head there. Um, you know, one of the segments of guests that I have on my show are the founders and CEOs of all these influencer marketing software companies mm -hmm. that alone is incredible value for my clients because I've seen them all. Like I know what they all do. I know which ones solve which problems because I'm constantly having conversations and being updated on what's the latest technological advancement in the business. The same thing can be said for, I interview a lot of content creators, a lot of influencers, some of them big audiences, some of them micro creators, smaller audiences. Um, and so I understand their, you know, sort of challenges. I interview talent managers, I interview agencies, I interview a lot of different people in the business. And certainly I interview brand managers too, to know, uh, have a finger on the pulse of what's challenging the brand side of things too. So I bring a very sort of multifaceted perspective to my clients because part of my practice of staying up to date and making sure that I'm bringing them the best consulting intelligence I can is my podcast, which is a an enabler for me to be more familiar and more up to date on what's trending in the industry and what's happening. So just as you refer, I'm, I'm just restating basically what you said in your in your question. But the more time you spend preparing for a podcast interview, the smarter you are, not only for the interview, but for the work that you do after the interview. And over time, again, that accumulates and people see, well, this person not only is really smart and has a good philosophy about this, they know a lot about it because they're constantly having conversations about it and learning more. Amen. So those are, those are the main benefits. Um, Jason, talk us through the challenges, because I think you touched upon it a bit earlier with the fact that, hey, if you start a podcast, don't, see, don't expect it to be like top one of the charts in three to six months. It takes time. It takes work. It takes sweat to like get the podcast out there, get an audience, get good guests and have all this thing compounding. And like we said it at the beginning, the focus was on the book and then you had to pivot because yeah, the life cycle of a book is not unlimited. So beyond that, what are the main challenges you faced as a podcaster, especially taking into account the fact that somehow you want it to help your business? Of course, it's there to produce content for free, mm -hmm. accessible by anybody, but also to keep up with all these updates, keep up with all these uh, speaking events that you could get invited to if the podcast becomes big enough. What are the challenges that come with that? I think the biggest challenge for me is uh, time. Um, you know, being able to fit the podcast interviews, production, all that into my schedule. And obviously there's, there's different ways to go about that. You know, there are services out there that will do the editing for you that you can hire somebody to do all the social media promotions and, and posting and management for you as well. 
I am one of these people who's a little bit more particular and a little bit more obsessed with making sure the product is a certain thing. So I'm very hands-on. So when I do an episode of Winfluence, I book and schedule the guest. Um, I uh, do obviously record the interview and then I actually do all of the video production I'm with it. I, my kids help me from time to time. I've got two teenagers who are nice. looking to get in the business, so I get them to help me every now and then. Um, but I do most of the production work hands-on myself. So the biggest challenge for me is time. Um, and the reason, honestly, that that's the biggest challenge for me is I don't have the money to let that be somebody else's time. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't put that in my budget that I'm going to have somebody else do that because I can solve it myself. So for someone else who's not, you know, a production person, not inclined to be able to edit and produce, um, they can say, OK, well, I'm going to invest some money in having somebody else do that. And then just making sure that the revenue becomes a challenge. I think the other thing, too, is making sure that you are consistently coming back to the theme or the reason that you have the show. I talked about, you know, early on in this interview, the whole concept of influence marketing sets me apart from a lot of other people who are out there just talking about influencers. Well, if I'm talking to an influencer or a brand manager or a talent manager or a software you know, representative, I'm constantly challenged to remember, OK, what's my unique take on this? Because if I don't bring that influence marketing perspective to the conversation, then my podcast is just like everybody else's podcast. It's two people talking about influence marketing, and there's nothing distinctively different about it. So remembering to come back to that thing that separates you, making your show unique so that it stands out um, is a challenge because it's easy to just let's turn on the cameras and let's have a conversation. And you talk about you know, all of the different things you want to talk about with influencer marketing, budgeting and, you know, how do you choose the right influencers and uh, how do you measure success and what's the ROI and all that kind of stuff. You're going to have those conversations, but bringing it back to what's the unique perspective that I bring to the table in this show and how can I engage my guest around that? Because that's where you produce the little sound bites and clips that make people go, oh, I want to listen to that because that's different. I don't hear that over here on these other shows. So that content and remembering remembering to come back to your USP, if you will, your unique selling proposition is a challenge. But it's because more often than not, you get in these conversations and you're just having a conversation, you're having fun and you don't remember, oh, I got to ask them these three things. Um, and, and, and that actually takes me back to the, you know, the original full circle to the original um, problem of time or challenge of time. I love to prepare so that, you know, my, I, I probably spend a good hour preparing for every episode of Winfluence. I also do a music podcast for fun. I probably spend more than an hour preparing for those episodes, but I don't think the show's any good if I don't prepare. And so that presents another challenge. I've got to find that hour or so to prepare. I've got to find the half hour or so to record. And then I've got to find probably a couple hours, maybe three hours to do all the production and promotion stuff. So time is the biggest challenge for me. But again, that's going to be different based on your skill set, your resources, et cetera. Jason, I'm, I'm looking at the Winfluence uh, marketing podcast right now, and you didn't name the music podcast, but so the Winfluence marketing is one episode a week. I suspect the, the music podcast would be something around that. 
My question is, when do you walk? If you spend that much time on the <laughs> on actually producing and preparing for the podcast, like yeah, that's a good question. So I, <laughs> um, I, I do work. I do work a full, you know, forty or plus hour week. Um, so the Windfluence podcast and then the music podcast is called Roots Music Rambler. Thanks for throwing that out there. I'll I'll let everybody know what that one's called. We'll put um, the link. We'll put the link. Thank you. I appreciate that. RootsMusicRambler.com. Um, the, I do those intentionally sort of as a side project. I don't let that interrupt my work week. Now I will do interviews during the day, but if I do a 30 minute interview on a Tuesday, then I'm working an extra 30 minutes that evening to get, you know, as long as the client projects get done and whatnot, I'm, I make, I'm, I'm okay. But the music podcast, because it is very intentionally a hobby, it's not something that I'm trying to drive revenue with, um, that I do the recordings and the production on nights and weekends. I totally take that out of the workday because it can't distract me from my core business. And so that is much more of a hobby and fun. And I'm just very intentional about when I schedule that time. Makes a lot of sense. Or you just don't sleep. <laughs> well, there's that too. Oh, you ask your sure kids. My, your kids yeah, do my help you walk. <laughs> well, my kids do help me, but my kids will tell you that I work far too much. So you're probably right. I do probably lose sleep. I probably sacrifice a little bit of family time too, but I also have teenagers, so they don't really want to hang out with me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that age. Um, tell us about the great stories you have, uh, specifically, Jason. Has there been a time when you've spoken to a guest that's really shaped your understanding of influence marketing? You know, yes, that happens a lot. I mean, you know, like we were saying earlier, the the, one of the great benefits of doing a podcast like this is that you're constantly learning. You're learning from your guests. I wouldn't be able to keep up with all of the different things that are going on in the industry if I didn't do the podcast. Um, the one that stands out to me the most, and I haven't actually produced this episode yet, so this is something that's kind of in the can that I'm working on. Every now and then, I will do a longer form audio only episode where I kind of go documentary style and just do the audio interviews and get, you know, sound effects and kind of produce a little, um, you know, radio drama, if you will. And I recently went and spent some time with uh, the two founders of Nimbus, which is an advertising agency based here in Louisville, Kentucky. And that that's just a coincidence. Um, but I went down and, and spent some time uh, with the folks at Nimbus, and they are a multicultural ad agency. So they're they're minority owned. Uh, they do they are hired typically to come in and solve for multicultural problems or reaching diverse audiences for certain brands. And in the conversation that we were having, um, the one of the co-founders actually said to me, "We are a multicultural agency." not a people of color agency. And so when we develop strategies, it's not for black or Hispanic or Native American or, you know, people of color. It's for everybody, including, you know, the franchised mainstream, you know, white consumer in America, if you will. And that was the first time that I had ever heard anybody contextualize that and say, a multicultural agency is not about serving one or two specific niche, niche niche audiences. It's about serving everyone with all of those cultures in mind. 
And that kind of blew my mind a little bit. I never really thought about it that way. And that's one example of the insights that will come out of these conversations where not only am I super impressed with Nimbus and how they think and what they do, their work output, but now I've got something that I can come back and say, okay, how do I apply that to my thinking? How do I apply that to how I approach my clients and my consultancy? So it's those little insights that pop up every, I don't know, five or six episodes or so. Someone will say something that you just go, whoa, that's new. That's different. I haven't thought about it that way. And that changes your way of thinking, makes you more mature, gives you a broader perspective or maybe a more specific perspective on something in particular. And it just makes you better over time. It's this constant, you know, constant learning process and being involved in creating content like a podcast or blog posts or even social media videos where you're, you know, entertaining the intelligence of other people. It just makes it just keeps you learning and keeps you better. I love that story. I love that story because we've always said that, look, podcasting as a medium, one of the beauties of it versus some of the other ones. I, I think podcast lends itself to being conversational with other yep. people and having what you said there, right? Like getting influenced by other people, speaking to other people, engaging other people in your content, as opposed to just doing it yourself and trying to come up with your ideas, or it's just you and ChatGPT. Like the, <laughs> the, the podcast medium lends itself to you networking. Yeah. And you get yourself into calls, into rooms, into conversations that maybe if you had sent a cold invite to a call, hey, can we just have a chat about multicultural? Can we just have a chat about multicultural marketing? Yeah. Maybe no one would have picked you up on that. But if it's like, That's hey, very true. would you be like, would you like to come and talk about multicultural marketing on my podcast? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I get something out of that as well. It's a win-win and then we can both move forward like that. And I'd always thought about that in the sense of as a business case, right? To say, look, you can get into calls with potential clients. That's how we always pitch our guest booking services at GHA Marketing. But you've opened my mind as well to say, well, yeah, it's it's like traveling. It's like, you know, the whole beauty of traveling is you get to go and speak to so many different people and see so many different things. Podcasting is like virtual traveling. You get to speak to all these people from all around the world about their unique experience, about their unique perspective. And it opens your mind as well as having direct business benefits, but makes you a better marketer, better consultant, better recruiter, better whatever else you want to have your podcast around um, in your space. Absolutely. Jason, from your experience, I'm curious to know what's the one thing that influencers and influence marketers are doing wrong? What, what, what do they not get? And what could be the tipping point that's like, that's how you're going to hack it. Like, what are they doing wrong right now? <laughs> well, you know, there's a, a couple of things pop into my mind, but I really feel like <clears throat> the main problem with the influencer marketing space is they focus on the influencer. They focus on the content creator as opposed to, you know, what is the strategic goal? What are we trying to accomplish as a brand? Influencers are the tool that gets you there. So focusing on influencers versus focusing on the influence that you're trying to drive is like, you know, basically prioritizing the type of computer or device you have and thinking that that's going to solve your email problem, right? The computer is not going to solve your email problem. Figuring out how to communicate well through the email to the audience is going to solve the problem. So 
influencers are not going to solve problems for you. Being able to find the right ones that you can partner with, collaborate with, and maybe influence and direct to, you know, sort of encourage them to help you actually influence their audience. And it has to be a collaboration. It's never about grabbing an influencer and telling them what to do because they know their audience better than you do. Um, but finding those who understand that and can collaborate with you to actually have an effect on the audience. I don't think very many brands think of it that way. I think they look at influencers as an advertising channel and we're going to drive a bunch of impressions because this person has a big audience. And there's there's nothing wrong with that mentality. If all you're looking for is impressions, then go find somebody that's got a couple of million followers, pay them a bunch of money, and you're going to get your impressions. But if you think of, well, how can I get in front of all those people with this content creator and do something creatively that allows the content creator or encourages the content creator to really excite the audience about this thing so that they'll go do it or so that they'll think differently about it or so that they'll tell their friends about it. When you actually see that there's a lot of dynamic things that can happen in that relationship and ultimately you can create the awareness and get all the impressions you want, but you can also create engagement and you can also create enthusiasm and you can also create conversion now you start to think about it more strategically, but you've got to be focused on the influence piece of that, not the influencer. That's not an advertising channel. It's pseudo advertising. It can be used to drive just a number of views or a number of impressions, but you're talking about an individual or individuals who have worked hard to develop a relationship with an audience. And so you have trust that you can capitalize on. And so thinking about the strategic use of the channel to borrow that trust from that individual and drive people back to you so that they know, like, and trust you, now all of a sudden you're using it in a smart way. I think we've got to stop looking at influencers as billboards and start looking at them as <laughs> consultants in their own right to say, hey, how can you go talk to your audience about what we want you to talk about and motivate them to do something? And so again... Just thinking strategically about it, that's the biggest, you know, sort of problem I see in the influencer space. And then on the influencer content creator side of things, it's the same problem. Because if they see themselves as a view or impression driving machine, then they're not going to worry about the collaboration. They're not going to worry about your brand. They're going to say, here's my fee. Pay my fee. I'll tell my people to go buy your stuff. And that takes authenticity out of it. It takes, you know, openness and transparency out of it. At that point, it just becomes a transactional thing. And that's less than what influence marketing can really offer. I love that. And Jason, you made me think a lot um, of Mr. Beast that you might have heard of, I imagine, in the influence world. <laughs> this is the one guy who does advertising as a consultant, but for the people that come to him, he's like, no, 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 but let me tell you how we're going to advertise on my channel because influencers are the ones who know exactly how their audience responds and to what because they have been the one growing that audience they know how to get clicks they know how to get impressions they know how to get engagements on the platforms they are influencing on and therefore they will know better than anybody if consulted properly look i know my insert the word that you want here this is how we're gonna do it and he like 
he places ads not at the beginning of a show it's like mid video and it's like it's embedded into the story of the video it's yeah. always a brand or a product that is related to the theme of the video which makes it so compelling and the the click through rate of his ads is like through the roof because yeah. there is nothing better than asking an influencer at least in his case because he knows what he's doing how do i talk to your audience in the best way so i can actually get engagement and sales out of it because your audience will benefit from it from it and they know you so they will trust you in whatever the message is if we position it properly yep love that good stuff super cool jason jason you brought up something in our conversation offline that we found incredibly incredibly interesting which is something a little unique that you're doing <laughs> which is called the marketing podcast network can you talk us through what that is and how it got started? Sure. So the Marketing Podcast Network is uh, a network of about 60 marketing-related shows, podcasts, um, that basically we have an ad network. So if you want to, if you market to marketers, you can buy an ad and it will run on all 60 of those shows so that 100% of the audience hearing that advertisement are marketers because that's the only people who are going to listen to marketing podcasts, right? So we have a really nice high concentration of a marketing audience for you know people to capitalize on if they sell to marketers. LinkedIn Marketing Solutions is a, a longtime uh, supporter and sponsor of the Marketing Podcast Network. So as an example of an advertiser that might come to us. But we also have a community where the podcasters collaborate with one another. Um, we also, you know, cross promote each other's shows on all the other shows on the network. Um, and the reason that that exists is I... In trying to build my own podcast um, several years ago, before it was actually Winfluence, it was actually the Jason Falls show or something at that point, but I was trying to figure out ways to build an audience. And I'm like, well, okay, I talk about marketing and I talk about business. So let's go see if there's some networks out there. And I found a, a business network and the, the promise of that network was we will cross promote your show on all of our other shows. So we'll expose you to a bigger audience. And if you want to put advertising in your show, we will uh, give you a cut of the ad revenue that comes in. And so I was on this business network for almost two years, never saw either one of them. I was never cross-promoted on anybody's show. I never saw a dime of ad revenue, despite the fact that there were ads for that network running on my show. And so I got frustrated one with that, obviously, and decided, well, I'm going to go figure out if I can do this myself. Because if I can do it and I can guarantee the cross-promotions, and I can guarantee the ad revenue, then maybe some of these podcasters will come over and do business with me. So I figured out how to do it. And when I did, I said, well, okay, I don't want to necessarily be focused on broad business. I could probably make more money doing it that way. It could probably be more successful that way. But I'm a marketing guy. I do a marketing podcast. I know a bunch of other marketers who do podcasts. Let's just do a marketing podcast network. And the the basically the same sort of promise and guarantee is there. Uh, you're going to be cross promote if you if you bring your podcast over to the marketing podcast network. First of all, you have to meet the standards of a marketing podcast, very broad standards, but a marketing podcast. We are going to make sure that you are cross promoted on all the other shows on the network, whether or not they participate in the ad network, uh, because we have some that say I don't want to do ads, but I want to be a part of this. You're still going to get cross-promoted on all those shows. So you're going to reach another audience, a bigger audience, with to promote your show. If you elect to do in dynamic insertion advertisements in your show for the network, we split the ad revenue 
uh, evenly across all the podcasters. Now, what that means is if you have a huge podcast with thousands of downloads, you're going to make as, as much money as someone who's got a couple dozen downloads. But the purpose of this is to build community, to have the haves support the have-nots, to lift them up and help their shows grow. So there are some people who I've approached with the Marketing Podcast Network concept who said, well, why would I do that if I can make more money out on my own? I'm like, well, then we're not for you. And that's okay. Go make money on your own. Make as much as you want. I'm happy for you. Good luck. But if you want to join into a bigger community that has a little bit bigger purpose of lifting up all the podcasters on the network and supporting them and their show and their growth, then we've got something that will help you. And in the meantime, we're building a network, an audience of people, of marketers that we can sell advertisements to get in front of. And so that's how we you know, generally financially support what we're doing. The ad revenue is distributed amongst all the members. So it's not about MPN or Jason Falls making money. It's about creating revenue that is distributed. And then we have a couple of other things, like we have our own production product, where if you want somebody to produce your podcast, we'll do that for you, and we can make a little operational money there. It's definitely not something I do to get rich. I'm not making a whole lot of money off this at all. In fact, I'm not really making any money off of it at all. But it's because I wanted to build a community of like-minded people who are doing like-minded things and supporting one another in, in doing that. So... You mentioned the word that I was going to say, which is community. And mm -hmm. Hussam and I are a huge believer in community because that's the one thing that is so hard to replicate once you've built it. Because it's <laughs> it's not only getting people in one place, it's making people want to be in that one place with you and with the others. And that's where the value is because you're creating so much more value as a community. One plus one isn't equals two in that particular scenario. It's like, we're going to build together and as 60 marketing podcasts, we're going to elevate each other and the end result of it will not be the absolute sum of just each of our podcasts, but something bigger. That's super interesting. The other thing I'm understanding from this, Jason, is that you're the interface between podcasters of different sizes and advertisers. So it's a kind of, so it's a community and you have the quote-unquote marketplace aspect, which is, hey, I have the podcast there, I have the audience, they're looking to monetize and they're looking to inform people and marketers on projects out there. So there is definitely a fit. And guys, do you want to get your product in front of your particular niche? Back to the influence marketing. Actually, that's, actually, that's pretty smart. So you're the interface between those two and you're creating that community that eventually just grows uh, on its own and without generating money for you because that's not the whole point. Right. But... Super interesting. Yeah, super interesting. A lot of fun. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, what happens to that community, Jason? Do you guys have meetups? Do you guys... Uh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, we do. Uh, we do. Uh, I, I, I'll say monthly, but based on my schedule, it's more like every six weeks or something. <laughs> uh, we do virtual uh, monthly creator calls uh, where we get together and talk about the business of MPN and how things are going and talk about potential sponsors and advertisers, any technical problems anyone's having, we discuss that. Um, and then um, every now and then we'll bring in, um, you know, someone who has some expertise to share uh, to help the podcasters get better. Um, you know, in the summer we had Jay Acunzo, uh, who's a great content marketing strategist and has a very specific sort of, here's how you build a content strategy for a podcast to have a purpose and stand out from the crowd and all that kind of stuff. 
I had him. Just, I saw him at a, uh, at the content marketing world giving that talk, and I said, "Would you come and do that talk virtually for the Marketing Podcast Network?" Because I want all my podcasters to see it. So when I've got something good to bring them in terms of consulting or strategy or content that I think they need to consume, we we do that as well in our in our creator calls, um, and we have a Slack community as well where every day we're trading. You know, ideas, uh, supporting each other's new episodes by you know sharing them on social, things like that. So we've got a nice little, nice little community going, and and I think the people that actively participate in it um, really get a lot out of it. And those that don't actively participate, it still probably get a little bit out of it, but not as much. That sounds amazing. I love the idea of community. I love that you're building that, Jason. That's mm-hmm. super cool. If you want Thanks. to find out more about that, where yeah. can they go? Yeah, marketingpodcasts.net. Marketing podcast, and so how how does it work? Just to maybe close the episode on that, Jason, because that, that I mean that's a super interesting use of podcasting and networks. Like, let's say I'm a I'm a marketer and I have a podcast. How does it work to enter in that type of community? Do I have to host my RSS feed on a particular platform? Do I have to pay a monthly subscription? Do I have to talk to you? Do I have to talk to somebody that will sure. let me in? Do I do I do I have interviews? Do I need to speak with the sixty other podcasts? How the hell? <laughs> how does it go? <laughs> Now you you really just kind of come to me and we have a conversation. I go through the you know all of the requirements. The requirements are pretty straightforward and simple. Um, if you want to, pr- it, basically, you have to move your podcast hosting to our hosting server. There's no way to run an ad network or do the cross promotions without it. So you do have to move your hosting, but that's a pretty simple process. You redirect your feed; it all comes in automatically. It's not a whole lot of work to do that, and I'm always there to help people uh, with those technical issues. Um, so you do have to host on the server. If you want to do advertisements, um, you just have to, you know, uh, basically insert two dynamic flags within your show. I can help you do that, or I can do it for you automatically. Um, if you don't want ads, that's okay. Uh, if you do uh, participate in the ad network, you don't pay anything, right? You're, you're, you're sharing in the ad revenue. So we're not going to ask you to pay any amount of money, uh, if we're ultimately going to send you money back. So you don't pay anything if you want to do the ad network. If you don't want to do the ad network, I can't give the hosting away, but I basically ask people to pay a $25 membership fee per month nice. or $250 a year. So it comes down a little bit if you do the annual thing. Um, and that gets you access to everything and you don't have to do ads on your show. Mm. And I think that that's the very basic normal fee of a hosting platform anyway. It's like, yeah, anywhere. we're we're not trying to, we're not trying to drive a lot of revenue off this. We're just trying to make sure that the hosting's accounted for. That's all. Love the mission. Absolutely love the mission. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show. Glad to do it. Thanks for having me. It was a real pleasure. And like I said, all the links to everything that Jason's mentioned is going to be in the show notes below. And, and we look forward to see who else we can get from the from the network onto the show as well. That would be really interesting. <laughs> for sure. I, can, I can help. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for listening to the B2B Podcast Stories. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please don't forget to hit subscribe and check us out at jhamarketing.com. Have a great day.